Welcome back to another episode of Film Junkies. As always, I'm Griffin Schroeder. And I'm Trey Soboleski. Yeah, and this week, uh, Trey, we've got got an interesting movie to talk about. Yes. Um, a, a moving movie, I would say. Yes, a very uh, moving movie uh, with some very uh, heavy socio-political yeah. overtones. Uh, Black Klansman. Yeah, it's one that uh, I was thinking about when we decided to do this is like, Watching it back, it's one of those movies that it leaves such an impact like you don't want to talk about it. Like when it ends, like you just kind of want to sit there for a bit and not say anything. Well, this is kind of in opposition to Green Book, what we said that, you know, it kind of romanticizes yeah. uh, this end of uh, racism, you know, in this easy, simple way. Uh, this is on the other end of the spectrum. This movie shows that there has been no good end to this. And yep. also, we have to remind any of the listeners that we are two twenty-something-year-old uh, white dudes talking yep. about this. We only see half or less than that of uh, you know the political spectrum of yeah. this movie. Um, not so, to not to say though that we aren't active in trying to understand the other side. We of absolutely things, are, but which is kind of why we wanted to cover a movie like this is to to give it more recognition because. We both felt that, like, I'll keep, I'll say it on every podcast from now on if I have to, like, Green Book was not a great movie, and I think that that was the easy way out to try and say that, like, we are acknowledging movies that kind of break that barrier, where I think Black Klansman was 100% a better movie to to address those topics in a way that needs to be done. Absolutely. Um, And so we wanted to do an episode discussing this movie because we want to acknowledge the fact that we definitely think this is the way that these topics should be talked about. Yeah. Um, overall, this movie is very good. Um, it, mm-hmm. it deals with, obviously, some darker parts of society. It is loosely based on a true story, if I'm correct in that. Yep. If, yeah. yeah, it's based on uh, the... So the I'll give a quick thing if you haven't seen it already, but I think we might talk about some, not yeah. spoilers, but some things that happen in this yeah, movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, is, it, is. it is loosely based on a true story. Um, yeah, but, Ron Stallworth, yeah. the main character, um, he wrote a book. It's He was a police officer in the Colorado Springs Police Department. He was actually the the first first African-American police officer there. Um, And the film is about how he successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch with the help of a... Um, another police officer. Which, not only is that cool, but in itself is hilarious. Yeah. Like... Yeah. It's... And he definitely has some ways that he... You know, takes advantage of that situation and kind of gets some. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the very smallest amount of people. You got to think that, uh, what, did Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle basically did a skit on this. Yeah. A blind. Yeah, that was. That was something that actually, when I was looking at this movie, I saw that. So Jordan Peele actually produced this movie, and when he was looking for a director, he pitched it to to Spike Lee because he thought. Spike Lee's directing style would be great for this movie, which obviously Jordan Peele knows what he's talking about. It is. But when he pitched the idea of, like, a black man infiltrating the KKK, Spike Lee literally said in their pitch meeting, like, isn't that a Dave Chappelle skit? Like, I don't think that's a serious movie. And then Jordan Peele was like, no, that it actually happened. Like, and then told him the story about it, and Spike Lee was immediately like, okay, then let's do this. And he said that um, he wanted to include uh, a couple comedic elements just to, like, show in the way that they're put in the movie is like to get back at the kkk not so much to make this a funny story um and then that would and that was him... actually that was part of the reason why i thought that this wasn't going to win best picture yeah because comedies don't t- not that this is a comedy not but there are some you know 
pretty funny elements to this. Um, even though it is a darker film, there are some times where you just have to laugh to yourself and be like, that was, that was clever. That was yeah. quick. Mostly the like David Duke phone calls. Like that's yes. One yeah. thing I want to point out too, before we get going that I thought was just like awesome in this, um, when he's talking to David Duke on the phone frequently, um, he, I mean, John David Washington, who's the lead character in this film. Denzel Washington's son. That's right. Yeah. Both great actors. Um, he has a very like noticeable like voice where he is very literate and like posts like pronounces everything exactly how it needs to be said and it's kind of like deemed as like his white voice in the movie uh, which is like a plan so that he can talk to the leader of the Ku Klux Klan uh, David Duke on the phone and kind of talk him into thinking he really is a white person um i want to say in in real life like i've watched interviews with the real ron stallworth he said he just used his normal voice because that's how he normally talks he didn't have to like create this different persona and i've listened to him and he speaks correct like there's no need to disguise his voice because he really does speak correctly in um just his normal voice uh but he said that he did make a point because they talk about it in the movie where david duke um, in a very racist uh, explanation of how he can tell if he's talking to a white person or not, says that uh, black people pronounce the word R as Ara. And Ron Stalworth said one thing he did on every single phone call was say the word Ara at some point. Like every single phone call, he said that he did that. Not just where in the movie they, he does it in the very last time he talks to him. But I just thought that was awesome. Like the whole time he was doing this, he actually was like pulling one over on these just guys. To, just to mess with them. Yeah. And uh, speaking of David Duke, uh, he's played by Eric Foreman. Uh, yes, Topher Grace. Topher Grace, yeah. Another... Uh, also Venom in the greatest Spider-Man dude, movie ever. Dude, I was ever. just going to bring that up. I was just <laughs> going to bring that up. Dude, I love Spider-Man. Uh, How did you know I was going to go there? Because um, those, those are like his two mo- two roles you can... Eric Foreman and Venom. And Venom, yeah. Okay, what else? Yeah. That's it. Is he in Brothers with Jake Gyllenhaal? I don't know, but they look like they could be brothers. Yeah, that's a good movie. But I actually met him once. Did you? Yeah, he filmed a, he filmed a movie on my street. Yeah, he was wearing a wig, so it was really weird. Uh, I think he was supposed to be like a writer. I think I think the name of the film was like Giant Mechanical Man. Nice guy though. Yeah, yeah. But Doesn't it, sound like a movie I'd like to see. But uh, what? Because it was filmed on my street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try to stay away from that side of town. Um, yeah, rough didn't crowd. you meet? You met uh, Jenna Fisher yeah, they, then, too, they were, right? Yeah, they were in the same film. Um, Jenna Fisher from The Office. Jenna Pam. Fisher, yeah, Pam. Uh, unbelievably nice. Yeah. Yeah, she actually took the time out and talked to me, whereas Topher Grace uh, yeah. snuck off in the night or well, whatever uh, the hell he does. I was going to say, speaking of um, The Office and people who wear wigs, um, that scene in Black Klansman when they're standing in the hallway and uh, Ron says, the one that you talked about to me where he says, like, he's talking about people from the kkk running for president and he's like no one could ever be elected for president that's that believes in these things and then there's this kind of silence where it's like oh the person who we did elect is a very arrogant person who has a lot of these beliefs and the music kind of cuts out and we said like the only like the one thing in that that scene that we thought could have like finalize it is like yeah, if you if did one of those like office cuts the where like they just look at the camera and it's like yeah this yeah, is real where jim's yeah. just you know he looks over to the camera it's like one yeah. of those yeah i was gonna get into that scene a little bit later 
Well, thanks for bringing that up now, Griff. I but, saw I saw an opportunity. Yeah, well, shot my shot. Hey, it was a good transition. <laughs> Better than uh, that being said. Hey, hey, hey. Now. Um, but uh, back to uh, Topher Grace. I just want to say how amazing of a casting that was. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. he, basically, he was playing, you know, a racist Eric Foreman. Yeah. Uh, it was it was really weird, and the whole time I was like, wow, he only has one role, and that's it. But then, uh, at the end of the film, you actually do get to see a clip of real-life David Duke, and it, it is spot-on casting. Yeah, <laughs> it said, really is. Uh, Topher uh, Grace said that like when he was preparing for this, he watched just like hours of David Duke talking and read his book, and he said he had that, like, sarca- not sarcastic, but like a kind of like holier-than-thou, like, talk myself up in front of people in a way that gets them to agree with what I'm saying thing, and so he, like, kind of presented himself that way, um, and he actually said that, like, playing that character, he knew that he had to get it right and to really show, like, how arrogant that guy was, but then to break it, he said it was so hard for him to, like, get away, separate himself from that movie after, he actually went and took the Hobbit movies and edited them all down to a two-hour single movie. That was what he did in his pastime to get out of that character because he couldn't, like, night and day, couldn't stop. I don't know why he decided to do that. So you're telling me that the actor of Eric Foreman yes. is actually a massive nerd in Massive life, nerd, too. yeah. <laughs> too. I don't know yeah, why he wouldn't have chosen to do some kind of, like, I don't know, political activism or something. <laughs> <laughs> a puzzle, yeah. <laughs> um, like anything but else. Yeah, but, but that was one thing I, I read with a lot of the actors. They said that, a lot of the parts of this film were so heavy filming them that it was like, it was so hard for them to get through a lot of those things. Yeah. I can, you know, Adam driver, uh, is the, uh, the supporting actor in this. Yep. He, got nominated for an Oscar. I was just going to say does a beautiful job in this film, mm-hmm. but I have to say it is very, very uncomfortable listening to him say the N word numerous times i mean it's it's said i don't don't think hundred is an is an exaggeration in this film not just by adam driver but as a viewer of this it's uncomfortable i can only imagine what uh you know adam driver who you know was was in the uh was in the marines i I can only imagine how uncomfortable that had to have been for him as well yeah so i i can see where the acting in this was heavy and tough and yeah, that was something that dealing with Spike Lee stuff. had said in a lot of interviews too. Was that and John David Washington actually that da- that um, working with Adam Driver, he is an incredibly dedicated actor. I've I've heard that everywhere actually from him being on Star Wars, him being on the show Girls and HBO. Like they've said that like when he is supposed to do something, like he's going to do it to the best of his ability. And to hear from like Spike Lee and John David Washington to um, you know African American people who are a part of this project and want it to be done right they said that like they they knew that they needed to include a character like saying that showing you know saying the n-word showing those types of like super racist uh incidents and they knew that adam was the guy that like was gonna act it the way it needed to be acted even if it would make him yeah, uncomfortable he wasn't gonna pull to show punches yeah to show that because... this is how the story needed to be told so which you know that's that has to play into why he got the nom because you can you can tell watching this film that it's it's tough for that's, that's that can't be an easy role to play that just cannot no. be yeah there's and there's a lot of scenes in there too that for all of them i think probably were were very difficult i mean um 
John David Washington said that one of the hardest scenes for him was when they were filming in the banquet hall, uh, where he's doing security for David Duke, and it's like a, a meeting for the KKK that, um, and they go and see them play a Birth of a Nation, which uh, talking about that makes my Ooh. my skin crawl. Like that, I don't know if a lot, I assume a lot of people know, uh. but that movie that they watch when they're sitting down is an actual movie that was released, and when you see the scene too. Um, talking about where, where they are cutting back and forth between the activists and then the KKK talking about this is towards things. the end of the film yeah towards the end of the film uh, and Jerome Turner who's the older activist who's talking and he says that they played it at the White House and that the president at the time said it was you know a cinematic struck like a cinematic struck by lightning effect or something like something that something like that yeah this movie was is just like complete kkk like racist propaganda, propaganda and it was a real movie that was made like i wanted to make sure that people knew that that like it's not it wasn't just footage that they drew up for this film like it it's something real. that yeah, yeah. yeah it, was it was real, real. and i've done a lot of research on um journalists today who uh will go to research like the kkk today or different you know alt-right groups and they say that like still today in meetings they watch that movie and it's something that's used and it's like it, it made me so uncomfortable and, and that's one thing in the book too with ron stallworth he said like he had to go he actually did that like was security for david duke and they did watch that movie there and he saw it played and um ron stallworth the actual character said it was incredibly hard for him to do it and john imagine. david washington said filming that was the hardest day for him and he had to like call ron stallworth daily during that and ask him like how did you get through this in real life because me just acting through this is so aggravating um i i i don't even know what to say like i i yeah. genuinely can't uh obviously i have empathy for it but i i honestly don't understand how hard that must have been being yeah. being a, a a white male and stuff like that i <clears throat> not that I agree with it by any means, but it's like I I can't understand where they're coming from at that like, right? You know, I think that Americans it must just be so much. That's I, I think that's one of the main points that this movie tries to get across, though, and that I appreciate from uh, Spike Lee and everyone involved in this is like these are the types of stories that as us being white like it makes us uncomfortable to watch it and that's and it something should. and that's what we talked about yeah is it should you know uh it green book you're not supposed to after this film go home and be like i feel good about myself yeah no that's why i said like wh why we wanted to talk about it even though this movie makes you want to be silent like, literally like, i i just was at a loss for words talking about that one scene yeah and yeah. not in a good way yeah in a very bad way well and i mean from a cinematic standpoint like this film is incredibly well done and it gets the point across in such a great way using the art of film um for example we talked about how there's a few different scenes in there where the camera work is done in a way that you're kind of sitting on the edge of your seat or you're you're made to feel uncomfortable because they leave a shot on screen for just the right amount of time where it's like we got the point of what they're showing and then also you are uncomfortable about it yeah, I was gonna say I really like the uh, <clears throat> excuse me uh, the juxtaposition in some of the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, you see some stuff where it's like uh, white power, white power, and then it's a quick flash back to black power, black power, mm -hmm. and you know 
it's one of those where you're getting both sides of it immediately back and forth, and I really like those aspects of the film. Yeah. Um, and there's an incredible amount of, like, subtle hints where they... So, where the era that this actually took place in Ron Stallworth's book is, like, 1979, um, but yep. Spike Lee moved it back to 72 to kind of add some references to, like, uh, what they call black exploitation, which is, um, like the exploitation of black people. Um, and so they had a lot did of, you just, what's that? Mansplain that to me. I did. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of movies that came out, um, that they think that, uh, were just put out that had leading characters that were African American to show like, Oh yeah, they're in the movies now. But really it was this kind of, like I said, exploitation of black people to show, um, these scenarios where they can put them to look lesser than, but try and convince people it's okay. Um, and also in 72 was the re-election campaign for Richard Nixon, which uh, was supported by the KKK. And you can see in the banquet scenes, they have uh, posters up of him that say now more than ever. Um, and then they have other things where they say America first, which is like the notorious KKK uh, slogan, slogan um, which we have heard a, a lot. I've heard during the the trump administration for people supporting him saying that also i've thought what i wanted to say was like so many ties to current day things where like in the scene where uh ron runs up to uh the window because he sees that his partner's about to get put through this lie detector test um and he throws the rock through the window and runs away as he's leaving they go and then focus on a sign in the front yard that says uh america love it or leave it um and it's like that's a sign that I've actually seen like in my lifetime and it's on the front lawn of yeah. someone that is holding KKK meetings. And it's um, like, yeah, that's, that's something that this film does. It has so many connections to current day America, yeah. uh, not just the signage and stuff like that, but everything kind of seems to tie back into today. And, uh, you know, even with Nixon, you know, there's so many aspects of this that you can turn around and just be like, well, you know, that's still going on right now. That's, yeah. that's probably happening down the street. I think this, t the, the main thing for me with a movie like this is that it, it somewhat tears down the notion that we've been thinking that like now, as opposed to then that we've made these like drastic leaps and bounds away from how things used to be. Yes. There are black people on the police force, but it's, yeah. it's, but it's there's still people the, on the police forces, like the racist white guy on the, in the station. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, two months ago, there was a guy who got, who was on the Detroit police uh, force who was caught. He pulled over a girl cause she had expired tags and then made her walk home uh, it was something like three miles home and this was in the winter time and he was posting on Snapchat with different filters such as like Black History Month and Black Power and things like this. It's like this stuff still happens. People people just like try to think that we're more evolved but it, I, if anything it's just that like now we have social media now we have ways that these stories can get out faster and it's showing people like no people just found ways to cover it up for this long and now it's being brought yeah. back to life and we're having movies like this that show like yeah this happened back in the day but, but it's also it's happening, also happening right now. now yeah um and so that's one thing that i thought definitely helped this movie become brought into the spotlight what made it so famous uh this year i mean as far as 
awards are concerned, it was nominated for six Oscars and four Golden Globes. Um, and it won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, because like we said, it was adapted off of the, the book that Ron Stallworth uh, wrote, that he wrote based on all of the case evidence that he had from working on this, which in the film you see, and like Trey mentioned earlier, where um, the end result of these things, a lot of times it's like, okay, yeah, people who are put in these disadvantaged situations and try and make something better for, for themselves get to see some type of positive outcome. And then at the end, it's back to square one where he did all this investigation, um, got to bring down these people he thought. And then, you know, his higher up is like, careful. Well, yeah, careful. I know. I don't want to give away too much stuff, but like, it's just, it shows that, um, this is a story that can be all for naught. Yeah, exactly. Not that nothing came of it. Uh, obviously some things, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to speak in, you know, Cold. very general, <laughs> very general statement, so as to not give too many spoilers. Um, things uh, do look up a little bit. Yeah. But it but. is kind of one of those like, all right, well, it's over. Yeah, and that's and that's actually where uh, uh, the real Ron Stallworth uh, got some of his information to write the original book. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I will say this. Although you see some things happen in the movie, he kept all of the things that he need that he did investigatively for this case, and what that's what he used to write his book based off of. Um, so he's a very intricate person, if you ever hear him talk. Like he, he's a decorated um, uh, police officer. He was on the police force for over 30 years. Um, and so he definitely, like, he knows what he wants to say before he says it, and so that's why his book was... Um, so well received too because you knew he was writing things factually correct um, but you know I, I just think that this was something that to this the story of it the way that it played out to show someone who is so intelligent and being able to show that intelligence in a time where he was thought to be lesser than compared to other people yeah I mean uh, it's it's not tough to make the analogy with Jackie Robinson I believe they even make it in the film yeah um you know, they they say like you know you can't you can't be broken down that easily or you know if that's all it takes to get under your skin what how are you gonna talk to David Duke and you know I think that it's the same thing with Jackie Robinson uh, you you have to find that limit and yeah. or even exceed that limit and then after you get there you can be in a banquet hall with David Duke and a bunch of other KKK guys and. Yeah, you're making like a difference too. It's like you're literally putting a dent, being a martyr essentially to show that you're going to be above these types of things. And that's something that I say too to a lot of people. Like we said, we we don't want to fall into making this like a political rabbit hole in this episode. But we want to talk about the fact. Like I say to people, you think about it, and you read history books, and you see all these big um, timeline events where people stood up against something, and then later on in history they're like those people were pioneers those people stood up for what was right in a time that wasn't right and it's like you need to think about that today today like you Absolutely. you every day make decisions that determine whether or not you're going to be on the right side of history yeah so and, basically what we're thinking is uh in 50 years people are going to look back at this podcast and be like they were pioneers God. right that's where you're going with it <laughs> no no 
Nope, that's not oh. where I'm going. Sorry, I gotta make like one joke in here. This is yeah, we got. This been, <laughs> we don't want a... people are gonna be white knuckles on their yeah, steering seriously. wheel. Listen, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, like, where's oh, the jokes? We, All right, we, we thought they were gonna talk about some fun stuff. Yeah, nope. Um, I want to say one thing about uh making a joke out of more so someone. Uh, how we talked about. Ron Sauer talking to David Duke on the phone and whatnot and portraying yeah, to be that a white person. one of the best. Uh, so that is awesome, scene. and that really did happen in real life. One thing that I want to say that, like, they didn't talk about in the movie because they wanted to end the movie to show him, like, making David Duke a fool of himself. Uh, David Duke actually did not discover that Ron Solworth was a black man until 2006. <laughs> And this happened in 79. And so a Miami Herald reporter contacted him for his side of the story because he was writing a story about it based on Ron Solworth's book. Uh, and he didn't know that, that that Ron Solworth was ever even a black person That's until 2006. Unbelievable. Um, that but, makes me so happy. But with that, though, Ron Solworth said uh, that one of his biggest regrets in all of the investigation uh, not being made public uh, was that had it been revealed that he was a black person and had fooled David Duke, um, that it would have made a fool of David Duke in public and then would have stopped him from continuing his political career. Uh, yeah, I mean... And that's uh, something that he said he really wished. Yeah. But I, I think that it, it would have really made him... I wish I could have heard that phone call, like, with the po- oh, with the man. reporter when he's like, what? Like, when no, he, he figures wasn't. it out? Yeah. No, he wasn't. Yeah. And well, he because, actually... I mean, he did meet... He met a white guy yeah. on numerous occasions. Yeah. So you would think, but <laughs> well, uh, I mean, that's just too funny. I don't. I don't know. But my personal opinion is that most uh, white supremacists aren't very intelligent people. So I, I would. I expect would that tend would... to agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I do want to talk about some lighter stuff here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big sports guy, right? I do. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, the lead actor. John David Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also in a HBO show with The Rock. Ballers. Uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. Johnson. Sorry, I don't know if he still goes by The Rock. Um, still looks like one. <laughs> mountain. Chiseled, chiseled rock. Boulder. Um, Colorado. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Colorado Springs. Tied it back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, John David Washington uh, is fairly athletic in Ballers. Yeah. And... He plays an NFL player. Well, he, so. he plays an NFL wide receiver, Ricky Jarrett. Um, but he actually played in the NFL a little bit, uh, John David Washington. Um, he signed as a free agent to the St. Louis Rams in 2006, the same year that David Duke found out that Ron Stallworth was a black man. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> really tying it back Full here. Full circle there. Um, but, yeah, so he he's, he's a pretty uh, multifaceted guy. He is, yeah. Um, athletic, very talented actor, mm-hmm. very talented father. Yeah. Actually, he made his directing, or his acting debut, uh, John David Washington did, in the movie Malcolm X, which, oh, yeah, which Spike is Lee directed, and that his father. his father plays Malcolm X. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic so. film. Yeah. Another very political yeah, obviously, I don't necessary. Think you, but... I don't think that you can make a film about Malcolm X and have it not be political. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you would do. It's a movie about Malcolm X and his his love for vacation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie, though, uh, 
very well received uh, for the most part. Obviously, like we said, it yeah. does have a negative connotation because it, it does what it's supposed to, though, in making people feel uncomfortable. But very well received. It, it debuted, debuted at uh, Cannes Festival. Um, yeah, and just, it made about, uh, what, $91 million at the box office? Yeah, on a small budget. Yeah, it, um, it was... Yeah, it was fifteen million. Yeah, fifteen million was a budget. And Spike Lee received a uh, six-minute standing ovation at Cannes upon its uh, premiere. So, oh, that's two minutes less than *Stars Born*. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which I might be I why he stormed out of the Oscars. I, but I think I could stand up for six minutes for this film. Yeah, I'd stand up for six minutes, maybe even six and a half. Oof, I really pushed. I clap for at least four. Ah. <laughs> this, is, this is a great movie. Um, That's how we rate our films from now on. Yeah. How long would you stand up for this film? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is one though that standing up. It, I mean, to be cheesy, like it does make it does stand up for something. Like this movie does take a stance. It shows a story in a way that even if it isn't one hundred percent based on the actual life of Ron Stallworth, there are things that are. Um, added in um to make it more of a like his girlfriend well-rounded picture yeah his girlfriend uh, like the his fact that adam driver is, is jewish. jewish he wasn't actually jewish um, yeah um there i mean there's actually a lot of things well, that but were i mean it's it's a film it's a it was it's a blockbuster you have yeah. to have some kind of love interest but that's the thing too the things um, that they did add help forward. it they they aren't like things that they add aren't things that didn't ever happen like they're just showing in that time period these are also scenarios that people were dealing with and i think it makes it more of a well-rounded story uh for example it makes it it makes it so um you're not just going and watching basically a biopic on ron stallworth yeah um it it gives it a cinematic feel that you you want to go see what happens in this movie it's not just uh here's what happened in history because people tend not to uh to like those just you know, completely nonfiction yeah. movies. It's, it's you know, they fluffed it up a little bit. Whatever. Yeah. It's a great movie, and we're talking about it still. Yeah. Or, well, we'll be talking about it for a while. Right. Well, like I said, I mean, it ties in those other events, exactly. and a lot of them a lot of them were based on fact as well. So for example, uh, during that scene when they are in the banquet hall where Ron's, um, you know, being a, a security detail for David Duke and then it keeps flashing back to the, the activists in the house. Um, and they're all sitting around watching the older gentleman, uh, Jerome Turner, telling a story about his friend Jesse Washington, who was uh, an autistic 17-year-old uh, black boy who was convicted of raping and murdering a woman. Um, uh, that's based on a true story. Um, and that's something that, like, that watching that, just makes me so uncomfortable and I I feel like it's something that I really felt needed to be talked about if we were going to talk about this film because that's one of the most um moving not moving but one of the most uncomfortable parts for me to hear about um I mean the day that he was convicted a crowd of over a thousand people uh chained him up beat him and dragged him through their town square um the crowd castrated him cut off his fingers and sold them as souvenirs uh, and then hung him over a fire for hours and burned him alive. And I know that's hard to hear and to think about, um, but I just, I think that it's stories like those that like definitely need to be brought to light to show that these are things that not only have happened, but that were supported by, by groups like the KKK. And um, he, it was a 17-year-old boy with, with 
mental illness. He had no idea what was going on. And someone, I assumedly told him what to say so that they could cover up these things that happened and pinned him on it. And then this was a public thing. Kids were let out of school for the day when they found out that he was convicted of this because they treated it like it was some type of celebration. Um, And I, I, hearing that I believed it watching the movie that it was a real thing, but then doing research on it, I was like, maybe I want to look into this and it really did happen. And it happened uh, a few years uh, before after Emmett Till, which is another story that a lot of people know about. And um, it, it was, it's so unbelievable to think that a story like this could be covered up by another story. That's worse. Like that people didn't think about it because these things just happen so frequently. Um, and, and so I was, I'm like I physically was, getting uncomfortable over here. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm squirming because I, I, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, this isn't supposed to be a political podcast, but, but I just, this I think film that it is added so, so politically much. Di- driven yeah. with so many, uh, historical aspects that still are prevalent today mm-hmm. that it forces us to, you know, speak about the uncomfortable things. And, you know, even with that, they're telling a story, 30 seconds of the film. You don't think about it too much, but it's completely true. Yeah. And it is completely uncomfortable as yeah. well. And, and a lot of things, too, for me is like if you're if you're not people like us, that when we get out of a movie that we enjoyed do re- and we do research yeah, on we those research things. everything. Yeah, a lot of people might not do that, and so you might not think about it. And that's why I wanted to mention this to show that, like, it's stories like those that need to be told. Like, there, there's such a, in my opinion, like a whitewashing of like the history in this country that people try to portray. I mean, I remember hearing a couple years ago, like they had new history books in high schools where they didn't have like the Trail of Tears mentioned in, in from Native Americans in the country. Like, there's all these things that happened in our past that if we really want to white guilt yeah if we really want to move forward and make a difference you need to acknowledge that those things happened acknowledge that they were terrible things and that they should never have happened and then acknowledge that there are still things happening like that maybe not as brutally violent and difficult to deal with but they are still there is still an oppression in our country and i think that a film like this is a great way to to bring that to light and have a discussion started that roots it from a place of like making you feel guilty about it and wanting to do something rather than pretending it didn't happen i literally could not have said that better myself that was a fantastic way to put that and i think that's something that spike lee wanted you to think about um he he wants us to realize exactly what you just said yeah and that's that's the realization that everyone should be coming to um with or without the help of film junkies yeah well that's i mean <clears throat> even in the small things that he did in this film that we don't see um for example spike lee spike lee yeah the the um the scene where the the members of the clan are having the shootout out in the field and you don't see what targets they're shooting at and then john david washington walks in and it's a very, very emotional in, in, scene in very spike lee fashion spike lee fashion where he does the pan around and you see that they were shooting at these um, it's like terribly like Jim Crow, like Sambo, yeah, kinda. picturesque of black men running. Um, God, this uh, hard for me to talk about. Spike Lee told John David Washington that before they filmed that scene, that 
those weren't props. Um, he he bought those off the internet. Those yeah. Those were real. Those were real that he bought off the internet to use for this movie. Were they new? They they were in good enough shape. I get either they already had. The, I don't know if they had the bullet holes in them already or if they added those. But like he bought those off the internet. They weren't created for the movie. And John David Washington said that like knowing that and then filming that scene was like was made it so much more real for him to experience that. That um, just made it real for me. Yeah, and that that's a thing that. Um, that is it's it's still a prevalent people have these there's a there's an entire museum in michigan um that has on display the entire museum is filled with like white supremacist propaganda and um things that were released to uh make black people look as if they're caricatures like and they were real things that people had and they're all put in this museum in, in the state of michigan and it, and it the, the museum itself is made to show how terrible these things were but the fact that you can fill an entire museum with these types of things is just and that he could buy this on the internet it's something that i feel like those types of things you don't hear about unless you do research on the movie like i did but like it's crazy to think about that that's something that happened you know that someone was selling that on the internet today um oh, but man, it, it, it ties it comfortable yeah it's like we said it ties this back into present day which i thought that that notion provided the the best ending for this film where wait before you get into that i want to just say what my favorite part of the movie was okay steve buscemi wasn't in the movie he wasn't but his brother was. His brother was. And I'm not going to tell you who he was, but now that you know that Steve Buscemi's brother was in it, you're going to... You're going to realize that Steve Buscemi has a brother. And that he was in this movie. <laughs> and that... So, um, I think that you're you're moving forward towards the end of this film, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, that was... Although I'm joking about the, the Michael Buscemi part. Yeah. That was actually my favorite part of the film. Yeah. That's what you had texted me. Um, I remember after the first time that you watched it. Oh, it was the first thing. I, yeah. Uh, granted, it's right at the end of the film, but it was the thing that stuck with me the most. <laughs> um, luckily, you know, there's not a real big spoiler here. We're just going to pretty yeah. much say what happened. Um, mm-hmm. So at the end, um, there is a cross burning, mm-hmm. and it's with a bunch of KKK members holding torches and it is a seamless transition into the Charlotte, 2017. Yeah, yeah, uh, Charlottesville March of yep. what? What? Uh, what did they call themselves? Alt right, mm-hmm. holding torches. You know the tiki torches and marching, and it is just a seamless transition. And it's exactly what we've been talking about: how these things happened then, and it doesn't mean that it stayed in that time. Yeah, it has continued on. And we are still... I mean, it, goes, it goes through three different examples of this, too. Oh, it's not yeah. just the one. It's, yeah, but I mean, I just... I think that that was classic Spike Lee uh, doing a fantastic job of not only, you know, film editing and directing and stuff like that, uh, but bringing this back into the forefront of our current political uh, climate and bringing it to the forefront of our conversation again. Yeah. And uh, it, it closes out showing this film was dedicated to the life of Heather Heyer, who was fatally hit by a car while protesting the Unite the Right rally, which was the one that was held in Charlottesville. Um, she was 
like I said, someone who was killed um, by another uh, white supremacist who drove a car through um, a peaceful protest of people. Um, and this film actually opened in the U.S. on August 10th, which was the first anniversary of her death. Um, so that was something strategically done by Spike Lee. Uh, and he actually spoke with her family um, while making this movie to uh, talk about the possibility of including her and in, in showing her in this film to give that kind of emotional uh, stance. And her family fully supported it and said that they were they think that this is the type of film that needs to be made to show people that this is still happening. Um, and then after this, the real final shot of the film, um, after that footage is put in is, uh, the American flag, uh, upside down, upside down and... which a lot of, I think a lot of people who might be ignorant to the fact that they, that they think that maybe that's something Spike Lee's doing as someone who is an active, um, you know, speaks out against types of things like this, uh, in the USA, actual you know flag um protocol is that hanging a flag upside down is a signal of distress or emergency um and so it can be used as a sign uh of protest meant to signify political or civic distress um and so he spike lee is showing that we are in a time such as that political and civic distress yeah and then the 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 flag goes from red white and blue to black and white um, and I think that further kind of hammers in the fact that like this, yeah, this is an issue of that black segregation yeah, of black and white and showing that these issues are still prevalent today. Um, and I, I don't know. I just think that watching this film again, just further shows like, yeah, this is something that need to be made. And it's definitely a topic that needs to be talked about. Um, and I can understand why Spike Lee walked out of the Oscars after hearing that Green Book won that. Yeah, even if it even if it wasn't like a it, it sh- him not winning like so much as like Green Book was a kind of like fluff. Yeah, but at the same time, when they're when they're uh, two films that are speaking of kind of the same racial injustice, mm-hmm. and that's the one that wins Green yeah. Book, where Spike Lee put his heart and soul in this Mm -hmm. and uh really talked about the hard parts of it rather than you know fluffing it up with green book i can see why he's upset about it i absolutely can well even even if a star is born i even if a star is born would have won best picture i don't think that he would have walked out i think that only because green book won that's why he walked out yeah i mean i think uh this is the thing too. Like those are both movies that were based on true stories. Um, the difference for me though is one was written by Spike Lee, someone who wrote it from his heart and based on uh, Ron Stallworth, who's someone who suffered through something. Whereas the other one is uh, written by uh, an anti-Semitic person who uh, may or may not have gotten past his hatred for certain groups of people. So one's written and produced well. Yeah, written and mm-hmm. produced by, you know, the African-American side of the story. Mm-hmm. The other one is written by the white side, white side yeah. of the story, Green Book. Yeah. So... I'd rather have a... Uh, in any situation, I'd rather learn from the source and the one who's experienced something rather than... Bingo. Yeah, rather than someone else's fairy tale telling of it. So, Bingo. Because it's yeah. easier to whitewash when you're yeah. white. Exactly. Um, well, Trey, that's, uh, yeah, that was, uh, the most uncomfortable podcast we've done so far. (laughs) 
without a doubt. Yeah. So next week we <laughs> we're, we're gonna definitely going to pick something lighter. Yeah. Uh, I want to do a comedy or something like that. Yeah. Uh, something something funny, something with some fart jokes. Because, <laughs> whew, I cannot do that two weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that was heavy. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why we wanted to start this podcast. Absolutely. Because so, we love no. films and we don't want to just talk about ones that make you happy all the time. Yeah. Because you know, that's not... Every comedy ever made is not what sticks out in the history of film. It's movies like this that leave a lasting impression and that we feel like need to be You're telling me that people aren't going to remember Tommy Boy in 50 years? Bad guy in a little coat. Um, But, yeah, we, we, we like to get all facets of film and... I think this one was necessary. This one was absolutely necessary, Mm -hmm. you know. We, we, we've been able to talk about a couple of our favorite films of the past year, uh, the past two weeks. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that they are two of our favorite films of all time now, um, just because we've gotten a chance to break them down, learn more about them, um, especially this one. Especially this one. There's so many historical aspects to this film that yeah. I really enjoyed learning about, even if they were hard to learn about. At least I know more for myself. Yep. Um, and I can you know, make more informed uh, decisions. Rather be educated than ignorant. Bingo. Yeah. So I can understand people as a whole more. Um, And that's, that's why we do this. Mm -hmm. And it's so much fun, even if it is uncomfortable. Yeah. And we're happy that we got to do this one. I am happy. Yeah. I'm hoping everybody enjoyed this episode as if it made you uncomfortable, good. That's what I have to say. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... But going forward, as always, as Trey mentioned last week, too, uh, if you guys do have any movies that you want us to review, uh, feel free to reach out on any of our social media platforms, uh, and we'd be happy to dive into anything anybody wants to hear about. Except Napoleon Dynamite. I hate except, that movie. <laughs> except Napoleon It's the Dynamite. only one I'm not doing. The only one, yeah. Um, um, anything else, Trey? No, that is it. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.